Welcome to the Supio Podcast, the podcast series for the Center for Education Policy and Equalizing Opportunities at UCL Institute for Education. In today's episode, we have an intriguing discussion between our own Dr. Jake Anders and Michael Sanders. With that, let's pass it over to Jake. Today, we're going to be talking to Michael Sanders, Chief Executive of What Works for Children's Social Care, about their recent report aiming to find out what works in education for children who have had a social worker by analysing the findings of a whole range of randomised trials funded by the Education Endowment Foundation. Michael, could you start off by telling us a bit about the mission of What Works for Children's Social Care and why you think this report was important to that mission? Sure thing. So we are one of the now 14 What Works centres established by the government uh, and our mission is to build an evidence base around how we can improve outcomes across the board. So that's in education, child protection, health, criminal justice uh, and then life chances later on for some of the most vulnerable young people in society. That's those who uh, have been assessed by children's services or who have been in receipt of statutory children's services. We were set up, uh, I came into post 14th of Jan last year, and we had 15 months in which to really show that we were making an impact and making a difference before we had to come up for a renewal by the Department for Education. This project was one that I established in our first week as one of our big priorities for a few reasons. First of all, young people with a social worker systematically do much worse in their GCSEs than other um, young people, their peers. Uh, the data from the Education Endowment Foundation has never really been systematically used to look at subgroup analysis beyond that contained within the individual study. So there's, uh, in the terms of an economist, there's $100 bills lying on the sidewalk. Um, and because this is a project that could be run, to be honest, quite quickly and quite inexpensively and produce results within that 15-month time frame that I think would be meaningful and make a real difference to the lives of young people. Cool, thank you. So... The EEF trials that you are reanalyzing as part of this project, they weren't originally designed to produce findings about children who've had social workers. Um, so uh, what are the challenges of trying to learn lessons about this particular group from these more general purpose trials in that sense? And, and how have you tried to overcome those challenges? Sure. So the biggest challenge is obviously that uh, at any given point in time, relatively small numbers of young people in each of these trials would have been subject to statutory children's services. And so the number of people you're looking at analysing is much smaller than if you're looking at the general population or even just those young people who are eligible for free school meals. So that gives you issues of the ability to make inference and of statistical power for finding significant results. One of the things which we tried to do was to blend our commitment to rigour with some pragmatism and say we wanted to take those studies that had a reasonable sample size but not to throw all of them out because they were too small. If you take the, the normal rules about how many people you should have in a trial, there would only be three or four that would be acceptable for this. But given that we were starting, at least according to a review of the evidence conducted by the Reese Centre at the University of Oxford from basically a blank slate in terms of what works for this cohort, of people. We figured that any evidence that we could produce to uh, help us find best bets was going to be uh, the better way to go. So we haven't been too strict in our analytical approach there. So we've we've accepted studies that otherwise you might say, okay, well, the sample sizes are a bit too small or there are other methodological issues. But we've also not been too 
boastful about what we can learn from this. So the the accolade we give a study that seems like it's showing something positive, that it shows signs of potential. What we're now going to have to look to do is to see whether or not we can replicate those findings in much larger studies. So you say about those ones that show signs for potential, I guess, um, what are you planning to do with those that, that have showed signs of potential? What, what's, the, what's the next step with those studies? Sure, so as, as you know, uh, intimately, the process of getting research funded is a, a long and sometimes torturous one, but we are in the process at the moment of uh, negotiating with a funding partner for us to be able to conduct four larger-scale randomised control trials, each of which would look at a few thousand young people with a social worker and randomise them to either a control condition where they get business as usual or to receive one of these interventions that's been shown to be to have signs of potential in our study. So that is the next step for us, really, is to build a much larger study. Um, and some of these are going to be very large indeed, so covering about an eighth of the, the country's primary schools, for example. So some of those uh, studies that have showed signs of potential, I think, are interventions that are more kind of whole school ones, rather than things that are necessarily targeted at individual um uh, children in the way that presumably would be needed to to support um, uh, children with social workers specifically or um, is that an unfair generalization uh, is that an additional sifting that you're going through what's your approach to, uh, to 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 deciding on on the particular studies that you're you're going to or adapting them I suppose maybe yeah so the We've had to go through a prioritisation exercise. There are 10 projects which we say have signs of potential, and we're looking to take four forward at the moment. The factors that go into that are how easy is it to target the intervention at the young people who we're particularly interested in? Um, and that marries up a little bit with, is there somebody else who should be doing this? So embedding formative assessment is one of our signs of potential projects, but it's also a promising project under the EEF's categorization, which they are already funding to be rolled out to another couple of hundred schools. Um, and in the case of that project, we don't think it's our place to fund it because it would be too expensive for too little impact on the cohort that we're particularly interested in and that the EEF are well-placed to handle that. With other things, uh, we've tried to look at things that don't require so much in school time. So uh, affordable math tuition has the advantage of being able to be delivered virtually, so it's easier to test over a wide geographical area. And, of course, the cost of the programme is a really key factor for us. We are not a particularly rich endowed charity, which means we have to be quite careful about how we spend our money. Could you tell us a bit more about one or two of the uh, projects that you have identified as having signs of uh, potential um, and why you think they might be particularly um, uh, able to help uh, children uh, who've had a social worker? I think that's a good question and one of the things which maybe we can learn more about from this study is what patterns emerge across the signs of potential projects. So three projects, spokes, families and schools together and family skills, all have a component where they are helping to bridge the gap between the young people's learning, the teachers and the school's responsibility there, and the, the families who they're living with, be that their birth parents or, in the case of children in care, with foster carers or 
kinship carers. And so that those three trials all show, I think, the importance of building that relationship around the child um, to ensure that everybody who is working with them, everybody who cares about them is is invested in and it's working towards a common goal of their education. So I think that's that's one thing that we do see as a very promising strand within these projects and that's why we're looking to take a couple of those projects in particular forward. The other one, I think, is around online tuition. So the general literature on online tuition, as I see it, seems to have less uh, substantial effects for deprived young people than it does for those who are from more affluent backgrounds. But we're seeing the opposite of that coming through here. Obviously, we can't make two strong conclusions from a study of this size, but one of the things we are hoping to do is to be able to trial that at a larger scale and see whether the delivery of these online uh, training on intuition from from maths graduates in particular for children who struggle with that subject, uh, whether that facilitated by the schools could help us get more bang for our buck, as it were, out of online tuition, which is obviously quite relevant at the moment. What have been the particular challenges for ensuring the continued education of children who have had social workers during the restrictions imposed as a result of COVID-19? Virtual schools who sit at local authority level and have responsibility for the education of young people who are in care, so those who've uh, been taken into care, um, or those who are previously in care, have had to adapt very quickly to uh, this new circumstance. And we are hearing a lot of wonderful stories coming out from different local authorities, uh, including uh, Salford, who I spoke to most recently about this, of the way that schools and virtual schools are really wrapping support around those young people. Young people who have a social worker, so those who have child and need plans, child protection plans, or who are looked after, are eligible to continue going to school. Um, they're part of the, the, the group of young people who can do, but the evidence suggests that perhaps as few as 5% of them actually are, although that is rising as the lockdown continues. So there's obviously a big threat to their education, particularly as they're likely to be living in households where, on average, there is less access to some technologies that might be useful and less of an onus put on learning and education. There's also a really important safeguarding risk, which we have to be alive to, which is that young people who are of school age are typically seeing a professional or many perhaps several professionals every day in the form of their teachers. And that can serve as a indicator of how they're doing uh, and what their home and family life is like, which can lead to where necessary uh, referrals to social services. At the moment, that just isn't happening. And we're seeing pretty substantial falls in those referrals at a time when we might think that families might be particularly at risk uh, in that kind of area. So there's a threat both to the educational outcomes of these young people, which is obviously vitally important, but also on the other side, a, a heightened risk of child protection issues themselves emerging. So as we move out of this lockdown, we really do need to make sure that we are not only ensuring that young people's education is protected, but, under, but that they themselves are protected and safe and and being well looked after. And that's, you know, that's a, that's a big challenge. We, we talk a lot about a second wave of the pandemic. From a societal perspective, that second wave will almost certainly feature some emergence of social challenges uh, in the sense of social services that require some of the social workers, the nearly 1,000 social workers who already returned to work, uh, having left the profession, to really grapple with those.
Thanks for listening to the Supio podcast. You can find out more about Jake's work and read all of our latest blogs, briefing notes, and working papers on our website at www.ucl.ac.uk forward slash IOE forward slash CPO.